Hey, this is Lawrence from Code Comet, and you can listen to TNT EdTech Podcast at tntedtech.com. And thank you, Lawrence. Why should uh, teachers use Code Combat in their classroom? So there's a lot of reasons why teachers love using Code Combat in the classroom. The biggest thing is just how engaging it is for students. Like, teachers love to tell us that they've never seen their students more engaged than any other program. Also, they're typing code from the very beginning, and teachers can really see their students' constant mastery and how much they're learning within the program. I like it because they're actually doing scripting coding right away. Yeah, from the very beginning. You know, it's surprising. Sometimes high schools say their students are doing block-based coding. And while some other elementary and middle schools are starting to use code common for typing, there's this big difference, and that's focusing on scripting is really critical to develop their skills for students. And Code Combat uses Python and JavaScript? Yeah. So we have Python and JavaScript in our computer science courses. We also do HTML and CSS in our web development courses. And we also have game development as our project-based course as well. So those are the languages. Yeah, the students are really excited about the game development where they they can actually share out the game with their friends and their family. Yeah. So in those project-based courses, they create their own games and websites. And it's similar to what they're creating, but also they get to impact their own creativity into it. One teacher mentioned she wanted to have the students do have this very social responsibility aspect in the games and websites they create. And where can teachers try this out at their with their class? Yeah, well, so the simplest way is just going to codecomma.com. The teacher accounts are free, and, the, and students get access to the whole intro computer science course. It's over 20 levels. Thank you, Lawrence. Yeah, and thank you so much. TNT EdTech Podcast, we're powered by Q. Welcome to the TNT EdTech Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Noons. Matthew, who do we have today? We have Raina Friedman. Yeah, and Raina is a fifth grade elementary teacher from Mansfield, Massachusetts, and she teaches at Jordan Jackson Elementary. Her students are secret agents in the student sector of the FBI. She is president of MassQ. She is certified with BrainPop, Flipgrid, and is a Google Level 2 certified educator. She is also in a doctoral program. Welcome, Raina. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me this morning. Great to have you, Raina. Excited to be here. East meets West. Yes, <laughs> I know. Coast to coast. I'm right? loving it. Yeah. Um, how was your ISTE experience? You know, ISTE is always one of the most exhausting five days of my life that's nonstop. And you don't realize how much you get out of it probably until you leave and have like, you know, a couple days to decompress. I was lucky. I got to present every day. So I got to meet a whole lot of people. I also got to meet people in real life like you, Scott, for the first time, shared an Uber. You never know when that's going to happen. Right. And it was great. I did um, some great gaming se uh, gaming sessions with John Spike and Mike. Is it Marietta? I don't want to butcher his last name. Oh, uh, Matera. Yes, Mike Matera. He did, they did a great gaming session. And then I also learned a lot about sort of the importance of social-emotional learning in the classroom with ed tech. So that was great. 
Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I think I may have been in one of those sessions. Then I went to one that was called, I'm going to butcher the name too. It was like Joy Hacking. Yes, or... that was the one that I was in. Okay. Yeah, that was great. I loved it. Yeah, it's great to see different things that you can do to make small adjustments to engage your learners. Yeah, and I am totally with you. I feel like two weeks later, I am still unpacking. I was talking with Michael Dresick online and uh, we're still sharing out ISTE stories. So I'm still unpacking. It's a great conference. Yeah, two of the two things that I saw, I went to like one of those small Google sessions where they talked a lot about the accessibility features and a Chromebook that I actually never knew everything that was there. You know, you hear a lot about voice to text and the closed caption and slides, but even like different things that come with the Chromebook, it's unbelievable the power of what that machine does for learners, which was great to see. And then I saw Wanda talk about how to change your classroom newsletters. Like, and I never thought to put like myself in the newsletter, whether it was an animated GIF or video, but the tools we use allow for that. Like I was using just a word processing program and she was talking about taking Google Slides and switching to the, the layout. Wow, that is cool. I'll have to see if I can take a look at that slide deck later. Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. That's something, um, I'm looking more into for my own classroom. Alice Keeler has some really great resources yep. on that. So does Matt Miller. So I thought, hey, I need to pull up those old resources and see how can I kind of do a newsletter and automate as much of it as possible. Yeah, she had an example of that. And one of the, it was the one that she did with Casey Bell and Matt Miller. They talked about infusing the ISTE standards. And so I have, I missed it, but I happened to tweet out and that's the one thing about Twitter and ISTE is people just share resources. Yeah, it's great. And your group, um, thanks for including me, by the way, you guys were awesome with Thank you. sharing stuff out. I felt so welcomed and especially with the Uber ride, my Uber was taken forever. Yeah. <laughs> I just hopped in yours. <laughs> yeah, but that's the beauty of the, what Twitter does. You know, we all network and make connections throughout the year and keep in touch and you know, learn and grow from each other. And when you finally see each other, I wasn't going to leave you stranded. <laughs> <laughs> no, especially at that hour of yes. the night with that many people looking for rides. I could yeah. have been there for hours. <laughs> you leave no man or woman behind. Yes. So uh, you did your due diligence. Uh, you get the service award for the evening. Woohoo. <laughs> uh, so talking about you and your kiddos yeah. there at Jordan Jackson. Tell us a little bit about the setup of that school. It sounded really cool. So I teach in a three, four, five building. We're actually an educational campus where the K-1-2 is next door and the middle and high school is across the street. So the kids all go to school in the same area together and we have 11 to 12 teachers per grade, um, K-5 to actually. Wow. So, yeah, we used to have 16 and we sort of had some budget cuts, but in the budget cuts left empty classrooms, which allowed us to open up a STEM lab and an innovation station in our school building for our kids. So there's a lot of things going on with whatever, with the learning and growing and the teachers sharing and doing, which is really exciting. And I've yeah. been there, uh, this will be my 20th year. Congrats. Thanks. And no year has been the same. And I'm lucky that I'm supported in that endeavor. No, 
you know, that's a challenge to do that. Yep. But it, it's also nice for us as teachers to kind of switch it up. Then we don't get stuck in like this rut. Um, you know, our job can get monotonous if you allow it to. But if we continue to innovate and kind of push the envelope a little bit in terms of our teaching and our yep. teaching style, then, hey, we're going to stay vibrant every year. Well, that and it's good for the kids. I mean, you don't have the same group of kids in front of you every year. So if someone says, oh, how do you plan for the year? My answer is you can't. I don't even yeah. know what kind of learners I'm getting and who's even going to show up on a Monday versus which kids walk in my door on Wednesday because who knows what happens to them at home. Right. Yeah, that is so hard when we start getting into like the SEL piece of yep. the job. Like, wow, I've learned so much and especially at ISTE, but more so outside of the sessions. Uh, I had some great uh, talks about SEL. Um, you had talked a little bit about that. What did you learn? I mean, for me, it's like you have to do inclusive design with empathy. Okay. When, you're plan when you're planning, you know, who are you, who are your learners? What kind of experience do you want them to have in the end? And then kind of work backwards from there. And then how do you get there? And it might be offering choice. It might be listening to the kids. I mean, one of the best things that I love about using the Google tools in the classroom, and Alice Keeler always says it, it gives you time to sit next to students. You're not constantly giving directions anymore. You're not up there in front of the classroom that you're actually sitting and listening to them. And I think for me with students, the amount of layers I have to peel back in September and October to get to a self-directed learner for a fifth grader is a lot because they're used to people just giving them the answers versus having them ask the questions and seek the answers themselves. Right. And if I'm to be completely honest, it takes me a little bit longer at the high school level. There's, um, you know, a lot to peel through. And then there's quite a few in my content area who just get anxiety just thinking about English. So just getting them to do anything right. is huge. Um, I have to work really hard, build up that trust and say, hey, you know, this is a safe place and really make it a safe place and make myself vulnerable um, sharing, you know, personal successes and failures and how I've overcome those things and how I can turn something that is seemingly negative into a positive. Like if I apply for something and I don't get it, how I use that experience to strengthen me when I apply again or apply for something else. And uh, once they see that, then, you know, they start investing in the classroom and that's great. Right. It's that fail forward and risk taking. Yeah. I think that's probably the greatest thing that my students get from being in my classroom. Like, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes. It's what we do with those experiences right. that really help shape us and mold us. You are absolutely correct. And so what kinds of things do you focus on in your classroom? I know we had talked about podcasting. Can you dip into that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we're standards based and we follow the Common Core and ELA and math. And we just went back to Fountas and Pinnell reading model. And one of the things that we were given was the Wordly Wise workbook, which is your standard vocabulary workbook that I probably had when I was a kid. And it was an expectation to do the workbook. So I happened to meet with my principal and said, I'm happy to 
interact with the words and use the words and use some of the workbook, but no kid likes a workbook, let's be realistic. So I asked if we could develop a class podcast using the words. And my principal actually does a podcast with our morning announcements, so that way every family can hear their child in the morning, so every kid goes through from September to June and is on that. So I sort of took his idea and I worked with my kids to come up with a plan for a podcast and everything was student driven from let's research podcasting to figuring out what podcast we're going to do, which they were deciding between a top, a weekly top 10 list and then day in the life of a fifth grader. And what they figured out was looking at the words in the Wordly Wise book that day in the life of a fifth grader would lend itself much better than a top 10 list to applying the words. And so we went with the day in life of a fifth grader and the first episode we did was like seven minutes long and the kids wrote segments and we sort of put them all together and they came up to my Mac and recorded and then I realized that necessarily wasn't the most successful way to do the podcast, but they were able to use the words. So that was wonderful. The kids then broke up into partners and did their own two minute to three minute and sometimes five minute segments, whether they went out into the building and interviewed people from the principal to the people who work in the cafeteria to other teachers or whether they were talking about what we did in science to things they do after school. And they were required to use 15 out of 40. We did 45 words over like a three week period and they were asked to use 15 of those words in their podcast. Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of vocab to include. And what a fun way to do it. Uh, that's something that I want to try with my students this year, having some podcasting experience. I am going to be dipping into that. So I'm taking some notes. You're giving me some ideas like, okay, I do a lot of vocab. I can just do a podcast on vocab. That would be easy enough. Yeah. Uh, that'd be a good little segue. And having them write it either on sticky notes or note cards was much more beneficial. And my kids, you know, are 10 than writing it on paper because what they realized was is the organization of their segment might need to be switched. So if they write it in sections on note cards, they can easily switch the cards around. Oh, that's a pro tip right there. Yeah, that right? makes a lot of sense. And so they were able to do that. They did some, they did um, sketch noting. Some of them use that to visualize their segments, to plan it out. It, like I said, depends on the learner. And um, we used to get to know the words. Not only did we sometimes use the book, they sketch noted the words. We did flashcard factory and pair deck, which is a great tool to learn vocabulary. And we did, um, the kids made their own, uh, what's that game where they put the, word up on the forehead and they have to guess what it is. Ooh, I know what you're talking headbands. about. Headbands. They made there their own go. headbands game. <laughs> nice. My high schoolers, uh, for the end of the year summative assessment, I let them do a PBL, project-based learning assignment, um, a little different than like a genius hour because it had many constructs. But in the research process, they had to bring in games and a bunch of kids brought in headbands and they loved it. And yep. so some actually included that element as part of their game. Which is great. I mean, any type of gaming to help you learn is really going to help kids. And let me tell you, they got better at the workbook because of all of this. And really the superintendent, I think, wanted the kids to have exposure to the workbook because they do use that in the middle school. Okay. 
So you're really doing something that's unique, but yet you're still prepping them for the next grades when they leave you. They're not going to be destitute uh, either. No. And that's, you know, that's what I had to think about was how can I use these words in an exciting, engaging way that the kids would learn and be able to apply them while still doing kind of somewhat what I was being asked to do. Yeah. I think that's a a really good way to include it. And I think a lot of teachers might struggle with this. I want to do this, but I'm asked to do this. And there's a way to blend the two. So, because, you know, you still have to do you and you have to experiment. You also have to fail as a teacher. Like this podcasting thing, the first episode was a failure. Like did not work for any of us. It was really hard and took up too much time. And as a class, we talked about what could make it work better. And then the kids said, well, we have eye touches. Can't we just record in that? which makes way more sense than using one Mac and having kids line up to record in it. And we use Anchor, which is web-based, but it's important to know that the kids were never on Anchor and it's a teacher account because of data privacy stuff. They all use voice memos to record, which I also learned was a great thing because the kids could hear themselves. Like that old school DRA, let me tape record myself when I'm little and hear my fluency. So voice memos helped with them to hear how they sounded and actually build public speaking skills because they were self-assessing. So there was a lot going on from a vocab workbook. Yeah, I've never like considered that, but wow, how powerful even for my high school students and especially like my ELLs or my low floor students, they can kind of... uh, gain those skills a little bit and it's not necessarily in your face they don't have to be so concerned about what others are doing or what others are thinking because everybody's doing the same thing right and then I get something that they're proud of right that sense of accomplishment I had that with that same PBL project I had some students create a question and answer game in Minecraft based upon the book night so they built uh, or recreated Auschwitz and they had wow. like a little tour. And as you're going through, there's um, signposts with questions. And then on the other side are the answers. And so your little Minecraft character can get out and check the answer. And it's a little review game, but then there's also like a visual and they did a phenomenal job with that. Wow. Yeah, I was really impressed. And these were definitely low floor students uh they lacked a lot of skills but they really came through in the end and i did have to help them a bit they did some things improperly but part of the process was they got so much feedback there were so many check-ins it just wasn't at the end it wasn't like okay hey this is due your final's due today you're giving your presentation uh let's see what you have no we kind of had some midway checks some early checks and i gave them suggestions like okay by this day here's what you need to have you need to have this built okay where's this at and we had to get into some minor coding things because i was getting lost when i was navigating their world they had to code in uh a starting point near their little um, railroad tracks. And then they had to teach me how to jump into the cart so I could go on their tour. And so that was kind of neat. And so we recorded like a tutorial video. And so it it was multifaceted. I had a lot of fun watching them do that. And in the end, they had a lot of fun. 
and I asked them at the end if they would do it again. And they said, no, it was so much work. But I appreciated what they did. It was a ton of work. I think they thought they were going for the easy option and it definitely wasn't. They chose the hard option, but I'm glad they saw it through and finished it up strong. Uh, well, Matthew. It sounds like too, you gave them a lot of feedback mm -hmm. along the way. And I think that feedback piece is so important. Yeah, it, it's critical. And I've learned that in my years of education that feedback is probably one of the most important things um, if you want to have students have clear expectations. Yep. And that's something I want. And it's something I still continually work on. I'm continually revamping and, you know, keeping my ear to the ground, listening to what other people are doing so that I can become more masterful at that and then uh, impute that into my curriculum uh, with my students. From a district level, Matthew, how can you see some of this being used? Uh, it, do you do like a media parent release for the so, students? So that's a great question. I get asked that a lot. One of the things that goes home at the beginning of the year is the salmon piece of paper that says, it's like a bunch of things, like my child has permission to go on a walking field trip. My child has permission to go in the yearbook and parents sign off. And one of the things is, is my child, you know, picture and work can be used on school approved accounts, if you will, and it's only first name basis and parents sign off on that. I don't think parents realize what they sign off on when they're signing that, to be 100% honest. So at curriculum night, when the parents are in, I actually explain all this to my parents. I talk about how we have class social media accounts. We have Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter that the kids aren't on, but I'm modeling how to use it, and we post pictures there. So, And we also have, um, we, we blog on Blogger, and we use the podcasting, and if any parent is uncomfortable with that, they need to have a conversation with me. Yeah, I think that's really great that you're being really clear uh, with the parents, what kind of media is being involved in the classroom? Yep. And I mean, I'll be honest, if you, if parents get me and they don't know this, then I'm not sure where they're living because we are so out there. <laughs> I mean, there's, that's the one thing to know about our classroom. Cause I really believe like I have a lot of working parents. I mean, six years ago, I had 22 parent volunteers. I'm lucky I get one. So there's been a giant shift. So how do you reach these families to engage them in the classroom? And like the other thing we do is I'm a Wakelet ambassador and I use Wakelet and we do a week in review and I use Adobe Spark because my kids aren't allowed to use Adobe Spark because they're under 13. But I'll take pictures from the week that I've taken and the kids and I will like put text to the pictures and we'll make a video and put it in Wakelet and send it out to parents. So that way they can kind of see our week in review. And it's literally a minute or two minutes and takes maybe 10 minutes to put together. Yeah, that kind of communication that you're having with the parents is really incredible and enhanced with these tech tools. Yeah, it's huge. So in a, in a nutshell, yeah. And if you're not at curriculum night, I do send home the curriculum night information, which all of this is in there. The only thing we cannot do, it's in our responsible use policy, is we are not allowed to have current students follow us and we are not allowed to follow current students. And though I respect that, I do think in this day and age, it would have helped so much to know what was going on in some of their lives because it does impact the classroom. Yeah, that's a great conversation. I know we have to be really careful and in our district, Matthew would know a little bit more about the particulars, but 
I know they sent out something saying we have to be really careful. And I've always just been really cautious uh, with students. I personally don't add students or families. Um, but I can see the benefit, right? If you're going to model digital citizenship, how can you best do that without actually showing them how it's done? If that makes any sense. Like they need to see the actual product and how to actually interact with these different social tools to get a feel for it. Well, for the social media piece, Susie Brooks, who is a tech director and Mashpee, actually created a paper template of Twitter when it was, what was it, 140 characters? So I actually print that out and there's like little boxes and the kids starting the first day when we're setting our goals, instead of like, what's your goal? They actually create a tweet. So I teach them about how to fill that out, how to do the ads, how to do the hashtags. Every student has a hashtag with their first name and agent number. So I'm Raina and I'm agent 24. So I'm hashtag Raina 24. So they can find their stuff if they're with their parents. And then Instagram, we actually have paper Instagram templates. And Caitlin Krause, who does MindWise and just wrote a book about mindfulness in the classroom, did a lot of teaching. I had seen her a while ago about um visual learning selfies where you actually do an Instagram post on paper about how you learn. So I teach them the first three days with these paper tools. Wow, that's super cool. And for our district, that would work perfectly because uh, there's a lot of changing with classes. And so you might have a kiddo one day and then he or she is gone the next. Right. And then now you've just gotten another one. And so if you're getting heavy into tech those first days, it's a little tricky. But if you're staying with paper, but still integrating the tech, yep. I think that's the way to go, at least you know, from where I'm at. So uh, I, actually a good don't, I actually don't put a child on a computer the first week of school until we go over the school responsible use policy and they really understand it. I think that's great. Because, yeah, I won't do it. Yeah, they they need to know what, you know, is appropriate. It's not so much about what not to do. It's more about what to do and to properly do that. And they need to see what that looks like. You can't assume that they know right. because many of them don't. Like you're saying, the parent involvement has shifted. I wanted to touch on that. Why yep. do you think there is such a big shift? What is it with our parents? Are they just busier, do you think? Um, well, I think it's a multiple, you know, multiple things. This year, I had a lot of single hardworking parents. So they come from, you know, the one parent household, kids are going in between two houses, if there are two parents, I have a lot more parents who work than before. So I think that's something to be considered. And I okay. think parents are busy, but, and the other piece too is, is that we use these tools with these kids. We don't always train the parents how to use them. So there's a lot of things, you know, you see a lot of things on the news, like take math, for example, where parents are like, I don't understand how my kid's being taught math. Now imagine you have that compounded with my kids now using Adobe Spark or, you know, Google, you know, a lot of people don't know about what Google Keep is. And it's simply, you know, the online sticky notes to help organize. So that's a learning curve for them. And they don't, parents don't necessarily want to admit they don't know things to their kids. Never mind. Ad adults have a hard time doing that. I have no problem saying, I don't know, let's figure it out. But not everybody's like that.
Are you having any parent training? I do. I offer, yep. I offer two nights of Google training if there's interest. And also if they want to understand social media tools, I do offer that as well at night. And I invite them to have the kids come with them. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I do that. And look, that's not part of my contract. That's not anything I have to do. I've always felt that if I'm requiring students to use things that it might be helpful. And look, there's some years I might get 10 families. This year I got two. So you never know. And so I just see if there's an interest. If there's no interest, I'm not going to do it. One of the things actually that's been sitting on my mind that has actually nothing to do with my actual classroom community, but more the community I work in. And I think it's a something that's nationwide is grandparents raising kids and how do we teach the grandparents yeah and how how is that being outreach to our I, mean, I, I know our community does events with the grandparents to support them but there's not that ed tech support because most of there's so few people in a district that really understand the ed tech piece without a tech coach yeah and i know in our community uh, we sometimes have trainings at the senior centers. Yep. And then our community college does like 55 and over classes for technology. Yep. And speaking about the larger community. Yep. You are a co-founder of EdCamp in your state. I am. I am. EdCamp, look at you researching. Yeah, EdCamp, <laughs> Ed, Ed Southeast Massachusetts. But there's four of us. There's um, Jackie Prester, who teaches at Mansfield High School across the street from me, and Karen Norton, who, I mean, Karen Norton, Karen Winsper, who's a tech director in Norton, and Kim Zajak, who's a speech and language pathologist in Norton, which is a neighboring community. And the four of us got together and said, we're not getting the PD we need necessarily from where we work. So it would be great if we could provide an ed camp for teachers in the area because there wasn't one. So we did it. And Norton's been amazing and hosting it every year in December. And we're going and on, could I believe, you share year four. What is ed camp? And yeah, ed maybe some best practices for communities that want to try to start this themselves? Sure. I mean, ed camp's an unconference. So you show up and there's no schedule, zero. And you basically design the schedule based on the people there with what they want to talk about. And I love that think with your feet motto, where if you're in sessions and it's not for you, then go to another one where you're actually going to get something out of. And the networking and learning and conversations is so deep. We actually have at ours, which is a little different, a student panel where we invite students in and anybody in the audience can ask students a question. And if people are looking to run one, I mean, they're welcome to contact me because we literally share what we do. I mean, we share the introductory Google slide and a schedule template and sort of what to do. So you're not in this alone. And then EdCamp Foundation actually will send EdCamp in a box, which also has things that you need to get started. But we literally was four educators who just wanted to bring something to their community and said, let's do this. I would really like to start Ed Camp in our community. I have to talk with Scott here, and we. Sh I would really like to get that started. Yeah, the I one went, thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I went to one Ed Camp, and my whole perspective was this is going to be a mess. The whole concept in my mind, how this would be facilitated, and it was one of the best learning experiences I've ever had. 
Yeah, that's just it. And you meet so many great people. The only problem that we ever ran into with an ed camp is like when someone wants to run a session on student voice, right? They want to learn more about student voice. And then everyone sitting in that room doesn't know how to use or doesn't know a lot of the tools that you can use. So sometimes it's helpful to have people in the room that know and people that want to learn. And with the ed camp model, you necessarily can't always plan for that. Yeah. So sessions end up going another way. I mean, we were very lucky. I ran a session one year and ditched that homework, and Matt Miller called in from the airport. Oh, that's awesome. hilarious. <laughs> yep, he was just, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm waiting for my flight. I said, can you Skype with some EdCamp people? I mean, it just worked. You never know. But it's, uh, just, it's been great. I know that, you know, I'm Neely Bartley, who just wrote a book for Dave Burgess's group. She had Beth Hoff come in and talk about, you know, leading beyond your title and sort of what it's like to be a leader. And that's always popular. I actually go, um, our principals group runs an ed camp as well. So I go to that and that's all about leadership. Wow, Matthew, I, I think uh, we have our work cut out for us. I think we got to start collaborating with Raina a little bit and yeah, um, I'd be happy to I mean there's also an assistive tech one here so like it's you're not limited by like just an ed camp if you wanted to do a specialty one you could I mean that's also happening and then something I'm hoping to go to which I don't know if either one of you have ever heard of this but nerd camp no that's no. new okay so you'll have to look it up but nerd camp they have a couple all over the country there's one in maine i believe in september but the big one is in michigan right after july 4th so i can never go because usually we have a masky retreat and it's right after isti but next year i think i can make it it's basically a day of professional learning that's scheduled and then a day of an ed camp but all of these authors go wow that so, sounds cool so and so you're and people from all over the country go it's unbelievable what they're doing and it always looks like so much fun so there's also nerd camps to look into whoa i was just thinking what about a egg camp for parents right the oh. problem though is getting them there sure yes I will say involving students, having student volunteers was huge because even though some, there's lulls in the day, we actually send them to the sessions okay. to participate. But they're there like to help set up breakfast, help set up lunch. You know, you provide all that. You have to get sponsors. So that's a whole other piece to running an ed camp is finding sponsors. We're very lucky in Massachusetts that um, MassQ sponsors, the Teachers Association sponsors, local banks sponsor, AT&T sponsors, and then, you know, some companies will sponsor and send prizes, which sometimes gets people in the door. But like EdCamp Boston now doesn't do any prizes. And they're one of, they're the founding EdCamp in the state. And people and are just coming. People are just coming. They said, you know, this is what we're about. It's not just about winning, you know, this software for the year or, you know, this product, that it's more about the conversation, which in theory, that's what an ed camp should be. Yeah, totally. Wow. Um, as we kind of wrap things up, yeah, I really wanted to mention um, another guy over in Kern Counties, over in Bakersfield in California. Uh, Eddie Gonzalez, he does a lot of stuff with students and he has students lead PD. So that just what you're doing made me think of that. I'm like, yeah. wow, it's so important to hear their voice. And yeah. 
so cool that you're on the forefront of this. Um, how did you come up with that idea? Of what, having the students at the edge? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think that was a like a me thing. I think that was more of a collective thing. But I really believe in having students involved in, in everything that involves them. I'd love for them to be part of school policy. I think, you know, we moved to having a student council that my principal runs. So it's great to see their voice there. I think they really need to feel empowered and realize they can make the change. What's nice ours is and it's really because I said, well, we're going to have volunteers. Might as well have talk to the audience we've seen it have done before. Is I, you know, I because of my secret agent community, it truly is a tight knit community. I still have my 28 year old third graders coming back, so I'm able to sort of reach out to my high school kids and say, hey, if anybody needs community service hours, we'd love to have you. And we usually get about eight to ten kids. Yeah, that's a really great turnout. Um, as we finish up, how would you recommend people get started with what you're doing? What kind of pro tips would you have for them? As far as what? Um, like either doing like the gamification piece, the student podcasting piece, or this ed camp piece. Either I one mean, of those. For me, it comes to trusting yourself and letting go of the control of the teacher has to be in the front of the room and putting the kids first, you know, asking them what they think and being okay that their feedback might not be what you want to hear, but we probably need to hear it. So true, right? It stings a little bit, but yeah. we need to hear it. Yeah. I just, for me, it was really, I run a student centered classroom. I mean, in 2015, I said, I'm done grading. I'm the only one in the district that doesn't actually put grades on the paper, though it's starting to shift a little bit. Um, it's just doing those kinds of things. I mean, I, my kids started doing digital portfolios this year and it was, I would never look back. I mean, there's so many things that you should just try and see what happens and trust the kids. That's the big piece right there. And, you know, I'm, I want, I'd like to remind people, my kids are 10 and they're podcasting and blogging. And that was something I asked the kids. I mean, they were sick and tired of doing spelling worksheets. I mean, do you remember like the alphabetical order and the sentences and the three times a charm and a word search and a weekly spelling test? What are they getting out of that? They'll tell you nothing. We used to do, um, you know, I don't know if you ever did a bridge project in school, like out of popsicle sticks. Yes. Yeah. And when, when I asked my kids what they learned, not the bridge concepts, not the different engineering design process, but don't use too much glue. And, <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, all right, that is not like, that's not learning to me. So every, you know, the fifth grade does a big bridge project every year. What do my kids do? Rube Goldberg machines. <laughs> wow, that's cool. I happened to show them like Honda had a great commercial and there's one that Alan November shared with this little boy who basically is like so excited because he thought he would fail all day and only failed four times and it finally worked. And I said to my kids, you want to make that? And they like the eyes light up. They just have to be part of the decision. If I had said, we're not doing the bridge project, we're going to Rupert's, I probably want a different reaction then. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the kids learn. Let's talk about physics. Let's talk about and let's talk about why I think this might be a better option for you. And then I say, and what do you think? Right. It makes such a difference yep. when they're involved in the decision making. Um, 
Raina, thank you again for being on the show. No, Such a great thing to have you on. Uh, and I can't wait until we connect again. We'll have to try and get you at some California Q event or I'll have to make it up uh, sometime to one oh. of those amazing mass Q events you have. We do. We have a great conference at Gillette Stadium. And the other conference I really enjoyed was the Future of Educational Technology Conference in Florida in January. Okay, and we'll be sure to get those in our show notes. So make sure to check those out, folks. And you've been listening to the TNT EdTech Podcast.